0: so Jesus asked that you would please uh, speak through your words of Scripture, as confusing as they may be, uh, to help us step into the freedom that you died to give us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hello to all of you. Happy Mother's Day to all of you who are mothers or who have ever had a mother. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. Uh, It's also Volunteer Appreciation Sunday. If you you didn't see the video earlier, I encourage you to get online a video to thank you. It was pretty funny. But I also want to say, if you are a volunteer here, thank you so much. We cannot do what we do without you, and you are the ones that make this place able to bring Jesus' love, not only to people in this church, but literally around the world. So if you volunteer, thank you very much. We have the last couple weeks been looking at the book of Exodus through the lens of story because our lives are like stories. They have reoccurring themes. They have character development. Our lives have cliffhangers. And one of the things God says to us is, I want you to live a good story. So, And one of the things every story has is a narrator. So that got some of us on staff kind of wondering, what would it be like if our lives had one of, were like a movie that had one of those voiceover narrators? You know, usually they show up at the beginning and they say things like, in a world where, right? Like, what would it be if our lives were constantly narrated? Well, we made a video that maybe captures what it might be like, take a look.
1: In a world of confusion, skinny jeans, and Vente Frappuccinos. One man stands tall. Rich Leatherberry. He fights against the pressures to fit into everyday life by ignoring popular fashion and wearing a shirt from the 70s. Hey bud, this is so vintage. It's totally in right now. He holds himself well. Walking with the strides of an elephant. Walking like a dainty ballerina. Like he's limping away in defeat from a fight. Rich gets ready for a hard day's work. He acts like he's on task, but really, He's just updating his social media accounts. Hey! That's a lie! Alright, that's it! Wherever you are, whoever you are, you're fired! And another thing! You're a lousy narrator, Mr. High and my your big deep voice. You don't know anything. Sitting up in some place, criticizing the way I want. i like to see you walk. You're the worst! Having sought attention since he was a child, Rich continues to act out in suppressed and unhealthy ways.
0: <laughs> That's a little what it would be like. <laughs> you can clap if you want to. You do clap, right? That's a, <laughs> a little what it would be like. And the truth is, though, that is what it's like. The truth is, our lives really do have a voiceover, don't they? Those voices from past, from parents, from peers, from culture that construct the narratives by which we live. And some of those narratives are empowering, like, I am loved. That's a good narrative. But some others are destructive, things like, I better bully or else I'll be bullied. I am a victim. Everybody has more. I'm left out. I've shared with you before that growing up, I was, I was that kid that was locked in lockers. Literally, that once happened to me on a Friday night. I was locked in a locker. It's very terrifying. Um, when I was in ninth grade, the girls in my class got together and made a list ranking the guys from most attractive to least attractive, and then they gave the list to everyone in the class, and, and I was second from the bottom. All I can say is thank God for James Miller, who was dead last, right? So... <laughs> so that I didn't have to be, and I was very grateful for that until I realized that James Miller and I actually looked so much alike that teachers couldn't tell us apart. So those girls just didn't know the difference. It was actually a tie. It's a very sad story, I know, but I'm better now. So one of the things I learned to do in high school was just to kind of sneak through the halls between class, avoid eye contact, don't say hello, right? otherwise I was going to get shoved into a locker. That was my narrative. Now, it has been decades since that was true. Ever since high school, I've had lots of great friends. I mean, none of that has been true for decades, right? And with Jesus, I've gotten over a whole lot of that, and a whole lot is better. But even still, occasionally, it kind of affects how I act. It's one of the reasons, for instance, that I might walk right by you and not say hello. It's not that I don't like you. I actually really do like you. It's just that you might shove me into a locker, right? (laughs) Especially this side of the room. I can just tell you guys are dangerous and scary, scary people. And sometimes even the seemingly good narratives, even the seemingly good narratives like, I am a success, I'm successful, those can eventually trap us and cause fear. Well, what if that doesn't stay true? Then who am I? And here's the thing. Those voices are intrusions into the narrative that Jesus wants to write with your life and with mine. A few weeks ago, I was driving to Spokane for a Whitworth board meeting, university board meeting, and I was listening to this really interesting story on the radio, news story. I was just fascinated with it. But then I went around a corner, and suddenly this country music station broke in. The news station faded out, this country music station faded in, right? Like, and it wasn't even good country music, which was sort of insulting, because I'm from eastern Washington, and we're connoisseurs of country. It should be, have been better, right? It was very annoying, and I lost the news story. That's sort of our lives. Like God is trying to write this really great story with our lives, and suddenly these other voices break in and start singing, She Thinks My Tractor is Sexy, which is an actual song. It is an actual song. And those voices are hijacking the story that God wants to write with our lives. What are the narratives that you're living by? And some of those can be very hard to change, but here's the thing. Jesus, Jesus can switch the narrative. And when he's our narrator, it sets us free to be more the people who he created us to be, not who parents, peers, culture says we're supposed to be. And that's one of the things going on in that list of names that Ryan just read. I mean, it's there there for a reason. Because see, a few chapters earlier, God told Moses to deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, but Pharaoh won't do it. In fact, he just makes their lives harder by forcing them to make bricks without straw So then Moses says to God, you're not helping. It's not getting any better. It's just getting worse. So then God says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. To which Moses confidently replies, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? And that's his narrative. In fact, he says it over and over and over again, three times in just one chapter in in this part of it. Exodus. He says it over and over again. I can't talk. I'm not. Who am I? I'm not worthy. That's his story, and he's sticking to it. And then suddenly, after that, you get this list. The author just puts this list of names. Why? Why is it there? Well, for one thing, it's showing that Moses and his brother Aaron are descended from the tribe of Levi, which is the priestly tribe. In other words, switching their narrative. You're not slaves, you're priests. But also, in this list, you can kind of see how we get some of our narratives how we acquire them, and then how God begins to rewrite them. So back then, fathers always named their kids, and some of the names on this list mean wonderful things, like Elzaphan, which means God has treasured. Right? But then there's this. The sons of Reuben were Hanuk and Palu. Okay, Palu means he dwells in a village. And you can kind of see Palu going, great. My brother gets, he's treasured by God. My name is, dwells in a village. Awesome. Right? But it just kind of gets worse from there. Then there's Korah, which means baldy, okay. nobody call me Korah, okay, I just a rule there, or nepheg, which means clumsy, or pinchas, which might mean he shoots his mouth off, right, like, what are the, you got to love Old Testament fathers, right, you are my favorite, you are my prize, you are my joy, you not so much, here, you're pinchas, right, like, I mean, it's just like terrible, but that's one of the ways we get our names, one of the ways we get our narratives, one of the voices in our head is our parents, and some of what our parents have given us is wonderful, But some of it sticks and it hurts. Why an A minus, not an A? You need to try a little harder. You're dumb, you're lazy, you need to lose some weight. But it's not just parents. It's peers, it's culture, it's all around us. And those narratives keep us from seeing God's power in our lives. After God says, I will deliver you, it says that Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and their harsh labor. Right? They can't hear the new narrative God's writing because they're so trapped in their old narrative. They've got a victim mentality. And Moses does too, all throughout this. I mean, God's gonna switch it, but Moses does too. So, you know, when he goes and tells the Israelites, hey, God's gonna set us free, probably did it in kind of a depressed Eeyore tone of voice. You know, hey guys, God's gonna like deliver us and stuff, so yay, if it works, right? I mean, that's kind of his attitude. That's their narrative, victim mentality. Now they've got good reason for this victim mentality. They've been slaves for 400 years. So it's grounded in some kind of reality, right? But but it's not, but it's their past. It's not the future that God is preparing for them. And they can't see what God is doing. Our narratives prevent us from seeing God's power in our lives. You know, they've got this victim mentality, they can't get out of it. And by the way, victim mentality, that's one of the big narratives I see a lot of. In my life, in other people's lives, it's not my fault, it's everyone else's fault. It's this, it's that, it's my parents, it's the culture, it's whatever. It's all been done to me, right? And often those things are based in some kind of past event or reality, but it doesn't have to be our future. And the problem with a victim narrative is that it's disempowering. If you're a victim, you have no power. You can't change anything. You're always waiting for someone or some circumstance to rescue you rather than being able to see the power of God at work in your life, what he's doing right now. While back, I was having a week where, you know, I don't know, struggling with sermon, blah, blah, blah. Kind of had a failure narrative going that week in my head. And in, during our staff prayer time, someone on staff started praying for me and said, you know, thank you, God, for Scott's leadership. Thank you for his preaching, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, later that day, a friend of mine said, well, that must have helped to hear what Annie prayed for you. And I said, well, what? I didn't hear a prayer for me. He said, yeah, you thank God for your leadership, all that. I said, no, she didn't. And he said, no, she did. I said, no, she didn't. My narrative of failure was so strong, I literally didn't even hear what she had said. Our narratives warp reality and prevent us from seeing what God is doing in our lives. But Jesus is persistent, and he doesn't give up, and he will switch our narrative. And this text gives us three helpful things that can show us how to cooperate with Jesus in switching our narrative, and one indispensable thing. And the first thing we do to cooperate with getting a new narrative is you've got to reject the false narratives. You've got to identify them and reject them. You've got to ask some hard questions. What are my narratives? What is, who is narrating my life? What are those voiceovers? Do I have a victim mentality, at least at times? And maybe it's based on the past experience, but, but why am I hanging on to it? Right? We don't do anything unless there's a payoff. So why am I hanging on to a victim narrative? Well, maybe, for instance, it's a good way to manipulate others, even unconsciously. If I'm a victim, then you owe me something and all of that. See, every dysfunction has a function. Find the function in the dysfunction so you can get a better function. Reject those false narratives. Because with Jesus, past is never prologue. This list of Moses' ancestors that Ryan read really includes some really messed up people, like Reuben and Levi, who begin the list, They tried to kill their brother, Joseph, right? Okay, so fratricide. Other than that, though, this is an awesome family. But this list ends with Moses and his brother Aaron, and it says this beautiful thing. It says, It was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. This same Moses and Aaron. In other words, yes, they come from this messed up, jacked up family. It's just a disaster. But they, they, they're the ones, not someone else, they're the ones that are going to deliver the Israelites. Past is not prologue. They have a new name. Second helpful thing that we can do to cooperate and get a new narrative is you need some more characters in your life because sometimes we can't see our own narratives. We can't see what narratives are playing in our head. And we need others to point it out and also help us to see a new narrative that God might want to be writing in our lives. Pastor Tim Keller tells a story of a guy who was doing research on Alcoholics Anonymous. And he writes about this one meeting where he listened to this really well-dressed young man going on and on and on about all of his problems. And in his narrative, it was everyone else's fault. He was a victim. You know, it was what everyone else, he he did nothing wrong. He was trapped in his need to justify himself. And things were never going to get better with him until he got out of that. So while he was speaking, this older man leaned over and he said, yeah, I used to feel that way too until I achieved low self-esteem. By which he meant not feel lousy about yourself, but get over yourself. Why are you stuck on defending yourself? Why can't you open yourself up to what might be true about you and the narratives you live? Get over it. It's not, this victim narrative is not doing you any good. Sometimes we need someone else to point it out to us and see a new narrative. At the after-school program at Jubilee Reach, there was a student there who uh, we had done a lot of spray-painting graffiti, all over the gang-related graffiti all over the school. Then he got involved in Club Jubilee and started doing his homework, made a better set of friends, that sort of thing. But one of the things they did was they asked him to make art posters to advertise Club Jubilee. So now he's using his artistic skills, not for graffiti, but to do something productive and worthwhile. They switched his narrative. They gave him a new one. And then a third helpful thing that we do to cooperate and get in a new narrative is we got to prepare for resistance. Because if you try to live out a new narrative, the devil's always going to be there to remind you of your old one. Or if you try to break some dysfunctional patterns with friends or family, everyone, other people might get mad. You know, if you stop cooperating with the gossip or if you stop responding to the manipulation, folks will get mad because you're not falling into the patterns by which everyone has agreed to operate. It's like pulling one string on a mobile, right? You, You start to get a new narrative and that upsets everyone and the whole mobile starts rocking back and forth. But eventually it settles down. Eventually they will accept your new narrative. And if they don't, well, who cares, right? At least you're free of the old one. All right, those are three practical things we do to cooperate with Jesus in getting new narratives. Now, here's the indispensable thing you got to do. You can't d- get a new narrative without this one. And that is, if you want a new narrative, you got to get a new narrator, namely Jesus. What are the voices in your head? Who's doing the voiceover of your life? Is it parents? Is it peers? Is it culture? In this story, God says to Moses, I will snatch you forth from slavery, I will redeem you. The Hebrew actually means I will be your rescuing kinsman. In other words, Moses, you're not slaves, you're my sons and daughters. You've got a new family now. He's switching the narrative from slave to family of God, child of God. From slave to rescued to be rescuers. right? Not victims, but rescued to be rescuers. Because Israel was always meant to be that nation that carried God's love and liberation to the world. God's voice is now narrating their story, not Pharaoh's. And the emphasis is not on who they are, slaves, but on whose they are. That needs to be said that when God rewrites our narratives and gives us a new one, it isn't always the opposite of our old one. So for instance, it's not necessarily I was weak, but now I'm strong. God's new narrative might be I was weak and I'm still weak, but God is strong through me. So, for instance, in my case, I did not go from uncool high school kid to super stud, although that's close. <laughs> it's very, very close. to the my, my username for my email, after all, is S. Dudley. If you say it fast, it sounds like Studley. So, you know, very, very close to my new narrative, but just, just off by a hair, right? My new narrative is actually something more like kind of insecure, but God seems to work through them anyway, which I like better. Because, really, we're all kind of insecure. But that's where God's power works best through us. In this text, God is saying, Moses, don't worry about your eloquence because it's not your eloquence that's going to set you free. It's my power that's going to do it. I am the author of your story, Moses. Pharaoh isn't. You aren't. Your parents aren't. Your peers aren't. Your boss isn't. You can do what I say you can do. You are who I say you are. And nothing and nobody can contradict it. And I say that you are free. So, Moses, look up and stand tall. God is the author of your story. And here's the deal, guys. God doesn't write lousy stories. The other guy does, but God does not write lousy stories. A while back, my wife and I watched part of this made-for-TV movie about the dating relationship between Prince William and Kate. And yes, that movie was as bad as it sounds. (laughs) And I am actually very embarrassed to admit that we watched it, but we couldn't help it. It was like a train wreck. You could just not turn away. Because it was so bad. Like one scene where Prince William sings karaoke to Kate in a bar. You know, because that really happened, right? And so I got online and I read some of the reviews of it. One, of, one review said, shallow and mindless like stale marshmallows. Pretty much covers it up. It's what my wife calls a wraparound. Like it was so bad, it goes all the way around and becomes good again in a comic kind of way. You know, that movie, Neil Diamond, you know, that sort of thing, right? All the way around. God doesn't write bad stories like that. Only good ones. Now, there may be hard things in your story. I mean, the Israelites, after all, they were slaves. There may be hard things in your story, but God will always do something with that and bring something good out of it. And God doesn't make mistakes, which means you are not a mistake, right? He makes all things new, so you're not a mistake. You're renewed. God doesn't make victims. He helps us overcome through his power, so you're not a victim. You're an overcomer. God doesn't make failures. He makes people who grow through setbacks, so you're not a failure. You're a fail-forwarder. In Exodus, Exodus, Moses is insecure, the Israelites are dispirited, the Egyptians are proud, and Pharaoh is unbelieving. But God rewrites all of those narratives, and Moses gets brave, the Israelites get free, the Egyptians get humbled, and Pharaoh is forced to admit the power of God. And this is the same God who comes in human form in the person of Jesus, our rescuing kinsman, and took on our old narrative, sin, paid, paid the price for it all, so that we could take on the narrative of God. What Pharaoh is narrating your life? Kick him out and let Jesus be your narrator. Listen to what he says is true about you through scripture, which tells us who God is and who we are, in worship, through others, in prayer, when occasionally, not always, occasionally we get one of those thoughts that we know isn't our thought, and it comes from God. And you can recognize God's voice because it's different than our culture's, it's different than parents and peers, it's certainly different than Satan's. God's voice stills you. Satan's rushes you. God's voice leads you. Satan's pushes you. God's voice encourages you. Satan's discourages. God's voice comforts. Satan's worries you. God's voice calms. Satan's obsesses you. One of our elders said recently that he has a great relationship with his dad. Best friends, really. But he had never heard his dad say, I'm proud of you which can be one of those narratives, right? Like, is he, you know, am I worthy of his pride? Right, and he knew his dad was, but he just never heard it. Well, last year at the immersed Prayer Conference that we had here, he was in a session on listening to God, and he got one of those thoughts that wasn't his, and it said, I'm proud of you. And he thought that was God. Meanwhile, the leaders of that session were praying for all the people in the room and writing down on cards anything that they heard from God. So after the session, the leader handed this elder a card and said, while I was praying for you, I heard God say this. And he looked at the card and the card said, God's proud of you. So a confirmation of what he had heard. Now, you could say that's a coincidence, but it seems like it's more likely that that was God giving that elder a new narrative. He said said it was like this emotional lump in the throat moment. Like, you know, wow, my father, my heavenly father is proud of me. New narrative, empowering narrative, liberating narrative. So here's your homework, and I put this in the questions section of the bulletin if you want to take that home. Write down a few of the narratives you live by, and then under each, write down a new narrative that you think God might want to give you. Pray about it. Ask others to maybe speak into that, and do this with redemptive imagination, and here's what I mean by that. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you see the new story God's writing. So for instance, a while back, I told you a story about a woman who cleans offices at night when no one's there, but in prayer, God nudged her to start leaving notes of encouragement, praying for every desk as she cleaned it. Well, after about a year of this, she came in one night, all the people were there, and they said, we just need to tell you that for the last year, things in this office have been so different, right? We, We get along better, we're more productive, we're having more fun. Even our clients have noticed it, and we figure that it's you. Now, her old narrative her narrative could have been, I clean offices, not sure how that matters. But her new narrative that God gave her through prayer and redemptive imagination is, I clean atmosphere. I pray out the old and pray in God's new. I'm an encourager. I'm a difference maker. So what's your old narrative? What new narrative might God be writing? And then one last thing, if your life were a movie poster, what would the taglines be? If your life were a movie poster, what taglines might be on that poster? Would it be something like, Fred Smith successfully paying his mortgage since 2005, right? Or climbing the corporate ladder one rung at a time, or doing diapers since God knows when, right? Like, what, what, yes, those things can be very good things, but God has a deeper narrative to tell through your life, what in those things. So what, what is it? What's that story, and what are the voices that are trying to hijack that story? And then finally, you just got to give it time, like more than a week, okay? Because it takes time to live into the new you. I recently heard a basketball player named Wayne Simeon, he used to play for the Miami Heat, and he, he was talking about how in college he was a big star, big man on campus, and, and one day someone after a game came up to him and said, you know, man, I wish I had your life and he said that felt like a punch in the face. He said, I had everything a 20-year-old athlete could want. I mean, I was a big man on campus, superstar athlete, but but he was also trapped in that narrative. He was playing for applause, and he so wanted everyone's approval that any poor performance, any heckling from any fan, any injury, any loss would just devastate him, just wipe him out, and he'd be filled with fear. Well, he met some Christians who told him, among other things, there's a purpose for your life that probably includes basketball, but is probably deeper than that as well. So he prayed and began to feel loved by God, and as he did, he got a new narrative. Jesus started to switch the narrative uh, and his motivation. So playing became, instead of this need to succeed and this need to prove himself and get applause, playing basketball became this act of worship. And when he did, he could feel God's joy, not at his performance, but simply at doing doing something that God had made him good at. And he felt God's joy in that. And there was freedom in that. It didn't matter anymore if he scored 30 points in a night or none at all, right? Which is probably why he started to play better after this. But more than that, he made Jesus look good. Other people, men especially, would ask him, how do you have that kind of confidence and stability in your life? When he got drafted by Miami Heat, they all knew he's a Christian, so they laid bets how long it would take him to jettison his faith and start doing all the stuff they were doing. They lost because he never did. Instead, they started coming to him and saying, how are you so free from this performance pressure? And he could kind of tell them what Jesus had done in his life. He wasn't just a basketball player who had to be successful. That was the old narrative. New narrative was, I am free to be good at what God made me to be good at, and I make a difference. And one year they won the championship. Next year they were swept out of the playoffs. Oh, well. Either way, he was free. Jesus switched his narrative. Now, he had to cooperate. He had to kick out the old narrative. He needed other people to speak into his life. There was resistance he had to persevere through. But through it all, he leaned into Jesus and got a new narrator and a new narrative. So what's your story? And are you sticking to it? Or are you going to let Jesus give you a new narrative? Because you see, every, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And I have read the end of the Bible, and I'll just sum it up for you. It's real simple. Jesus wins, the devil loses. So when Satan tries to derail you by reminding you of those old narratives, when he tries to derail you, by, when Satan tries to derail you by reminding you of your past, you just remind him of his future. Because with Jesus, it is always forward march into the bigger, better, often harder, but ultimately deeper and more redemptive story that he's telling with your life and with mine. So Jesus... In your name, we come against every false narrative that may be going through our heads. We come against every voice that may be narrating our lives. Lord, we cast them to the foot of your cross, and we say, those are null and void. They do not apply. Put them to death and send them to hell where they belong. And Jesus, you be our narrator. You be the one who tells us who we are. Let it be your voice and your voice alone that guides us and leads us. Help us to be who you say we are, not who everyone else says we are. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.